Welcome and thank you for joining us on Inside Bend, a podcast where we get an inside look at the city of Bend from the people who keep our city running. You'll hear about the innovative ways our local government is responding to our community's needs and helping shape Ben's future. I'm your host, Jacob Larson. This month on Inside Bend, we're going to talk to a few staff members about a topic that is very important to the city and those living here in Bend, houselessness. The city council has a goal to create temporary or permanent housing or facilities for 500 homeless people. The city can invest local, state, and federal funds into building capacity, like buying buildings to operate out of or supporting local service providers that help unhoused people in our community. There are also policies and programs at the city that could make it easier to provide more housing options. Creating housing for our most vulnerable community members not only gives them a safer place to sleep, it also gives the city more options for trying to keep public spaces free of unsanctioned and unsafe camps. There's a lot we're working on and we want to give you an update on what the city is doing to provide more housing for those community members who are experiencing homelessness. Typically on Inside Bend podcasts, we interview one staff member and learn a little about who they are and what they do. But this topic calls for something different. From three different staff people, you'll learn about Bend's first navigation center, outdoor shelters, and the city's safe parking program. Okay, let's get this kicked off with affordable housing coordinator, Amy Fraley. She's here to let you know about the creation of a navigation center and what types of resources it can provide for the community. Amy, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me today on the podcast. Thank you for having me, Jacob. I appreciate it. Awesome. So before we jump into um, uh, the Navigation Center, um, I wanted to take a step back and let you kind of tell everybody a little bit about yourself and what your role is with the city. Well, as part of the affordable housing team, we're in the housing department, which is a relatively new department within the city. And the city of Bend doesn't own any affordable housing, but we do a administer and advise on um, funds that work through AHAC or the Affordable Housing Advisory Committee. They make recommendations to the city on how to spend various funds, for instance, um, associated with the construction excise tax, the affordable housing fee, and then also uh, federal dollars in the form of community development block grants. So maybe we should start things off with talking about um, what exactly, what is a navigation center? The navigation center is defined by House Bill 2006, which came out in 2001. And a navigation center is a low barrier emergency shelter that's open seven days a week and connects individuals, families with health services, permanent housing, and public benefits. And so it's different than a traditional shelter. Traditional shelters are intended for people to have a safe place to stay off the street, but there is no time period. It can be indefinite, and there's differing levels of support services, if any support services at all. So a navigation center includes an intensive structured service approach to help the participants transition off the streets. So it's, it is different. It's that wraparound services component. Right. And so what kind of is the city's role in helping to get this thing launched? The city, through House Bill 2004, not to be confused with 2006, was provided with $2.5 million in the last legislative session to establish and operate 
a navigation center. And so we have those funds and we have to have the navigation center open by June 30th of 2022. And so the city issued an RFP or request for a proposal back in November asking our community partners if they could operate that those services as well as the low barrier shelter. It's always critical to remember that a navigation center is first and foremost a low barrier shelter that offers services. And so we put that out in November. They were due um, in December on the 22nd. And then we just published our notice of intent to award on uh, the 7th of January. So Shepherd's House responded. And the plan is currently that we're still negotiating the final scope and um, all of the details of the contract is to operate the navigation center out of the second street location where we currently have the low barrier warming shelter. Right. And so um, that was going to be my next question for you is the location of the shelter. Um, you mentioned that second street shelter, um, maybe give some people some understanding of what's already there and how it's being turned into the, the navigation center. I think it's important to remember that the city owns that building. And so that is a huge piece of moving forward. The city owns the current second street location and we're working towards the improvement on that facility with our own facilities team and an architect to create um, those spaces to support additional daytime services and hours. So currently, if somebody is accessing shelter services, they show up in the evening, the doors are open for a very limited amount of time. They come in, they have their meal, and then they go to bed. And then six o'clock the next morning, um, they're taking a lunch, a sack lunch or a sack breakfast, and they're leaving. And so there's a large portion of the day that Shepherd's House believes we could be utilizing the community and the service providers to provide some structure and an intensive plan to move people into permanent housing. I'll also say that a lot of homeless or houseless folks work. And so what they need is that overnight shelter piece. But for those individuals that uh, need additional assistance, uh, this could be helpful. With this being open uh, 24-7 for those resources for people, what else is kind of going to be provided by the service provider there? As I mentioned, the contract is still, we're going through the final scope of services, but a Shepherd's House is proposing providing three meals a day. And they're also working with community partners to do health services, including medical mental health, dental, um, public benefits, a number of people are eligible for benefits. And so being able to apply for that is sometimes a huge hurdle. And so um, most importantly, perhaps they're working at transitioning people into permanent housing. It could be employment support. Like I said, many folks work. And if you get a job, it's really important to have support to keep that job. Um, it could be job training or it could be education. So there's a myriad of services that could be provided, and we're just working on those steps. And we're very fortunate in Bend to have so many uh, nonprofits supporting one another. Why is it such an important resource for the community to have this navigation center set up here? It's important, one, because we have funding. And we have dedicated funding. And with that funding comes certain measurable and metrics that are required to be filed quarterly. So not only do we have some money behind the project, but we also have a structure by which we'll be measuring those services and be able to establish what is successful. And so there's that extra accountability that may sometimes the public may feel is missing. The Navigation Center is an opportunity to provide individualized intensive service with measurable results. 
And we need that full spectrum. We need by name, Shepherd's House and the other providers know those people and, and they know what they need. And people, we have to keep in mind, know what they need as well. And so by providing services during the day on a more regular basis, helping folks to navigate some very complex systems and challenges, um, it's, it's a win-win. What is your favorite part of doing this type of work for the city? I believe in the community. I mean, I'm one of those few people we moved to Bend. My family moved to Bend in 1973. And while the community has gone through significant changes, I believe that we are a small town um, at heart and we help our neighbors. And this is an opportunity to engage people in helping one another for the betterment of of bend. And so any chance that I get to do that is, is a good day. That's great. Um, well, Amy, thank you so much for taking the time with, to chat with me. I really appreciate it. All right. Thanks, Jacob. Next up is recovery strategy and impact officer, Carolyn Egan, as she explains how the city is working to help develop outdoor shelters. Hi, Carolyn. Thank you for joining me on the podcast. Jacob, once again, thank you so much for having me. I am thrilled to be here. Awesome. Yeah, I was just saying, um, I think you're the first repeat customer on the podcast. So no pressure here. Okay. 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 (laughs) I'll see what I can do. Um, So your title recently changed. Um, The last time we talked to you, you had just come into this new title of recovery strategy and impact officer. So maybe briefly explain um, what your role is. We are here to talk about the houselessness situation and outdoor shelters. Um, and that's just kind of a piece of the puzzle of your job because you uh, cover many, many things. So what exactly is your role? So as um, recovery impact and um, strategy and impact officer, I'm really overseeing the investment deployment um, and then catching the or reporting the overall impact of the city's ARPA funds. So the city received 14 million in ARPA funds. We were lucky enough to receive another 4 million in state ARPA funds. Um, And as ARPA funds from the state and federal level are starting to trickle through the system, my job is to catch as much as that um, as I can and then make sure it's invested as per the city council goals. And as the community knows, houselessness and housing is really one of the overarching goals um, and of the city of the city council, and these new funds, you know, the American Rescue Plan Act funds are allowing us to do things in housing and houselessness that we were never able to do before. Yeah, and I think that's a good way for us to talk about. Um, there's so many pieces to this um, uh, houselessness topic, um, and and there's no like one avenue that's going to help um, solve the problem. Um, and we're here to talk about outdoor shelters. So um, maybe you could talk about what the outdoor shelters are and kind of how they fit into um, the rest of the big picture. For the first time, we've really have something that I can quote you to you um, in terms what is the definition of an outdoor shelter. So I'd like to just read it to you so that we're all on the same page. An outdoor shelter means a site on which multiple mobile or permanent units, including tents, yurts, huts, cabins, manufactured dwellings, recreational vehicles, travel trailers, and other similar structures are placed for use as shelter. Um, so really it is, you can, you can with the, just that list, all the commas in that list, you know, it's, it's really an outdoor, it's an outdoor site. Um, they're no, not intended to really um, have permits. There may be some permanent structures on the site, but really meant to be these 
temporary units um, from Conestoga hunts to RVs to um, a tent where people can camp safely. Um, what we have across the city now are we have, you know, sort of camping happening in a variety of places in rights of way or on city property. Um, and those are unsanctioned. Those aren't necessarily safe places or the best places to have our community members living. So really stepping people from having no structure or no safe place to sleep into what might be the first level of a safe place to sleep. And that's an outdoor shelter. Right. And and you, I think you touched on this earlier too, about, um, you know, service providers being a, a part of this as well. And that's something that's going to be included with these sanctioned outdoor shelters as well as getting those services to the people that need them. Absolutely. So the elder shelter is really that first level of contact. So you've lost your housing. Maybe you really haven't had a lot of contact with friends or family or even an employer. Um, moving to an outdoor shelter would might be the first time that you engage with someone who's like, you want to get your license back? Let's figure out how to get our license back. So really that social service provision is just that first line of like, let's let's talk about what, you know, what what you're comfortable doing to start to re-engage to get yourself back um, into stable housing in whatever form that looks like for 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 you as an individual. And when we talk about outdoor shelters, um, where kind of is the city in the process of getting some of these set up and um, actually getting people utilizing um, the shelters and the services that you just mentioned? It's been sort of a, the not even sort of, it's been a two-pronged um, approach. Um, the first is land. So where on the planet, um, inside the city limits of Bend or inside the UGB, are you going to have a space for an outdoor shelter? Um, public land, private land, nonprofit owned land, right of way, um, you know, some other way we made public facilities land, whatever it happens to be. And so we, the first thing we did was really started looking at locations. Um, and I would say we got a lot of community engagement around our first potential locations. But really, there's this there's this layering, you need to have the location where you could even site an outdoor shelter um, before you start talking to a service provider who might be able to operate or manage that shelter. So the second prong that we've been working on is figuring out who in our community, um, whether it's an existing agency or a new agency or a hybrid version of, you know, professionals from a couple of different agencies helping us manage those outdoor shelters. And so we continue to look for locations, um, cast the net far and wide, work with the other public agencies in the community. Um, there's a handful of sites we continue to investigate. So while we've been trying to figure out locations, we've also been trying to figure out who is the right social service provider. Everything is looking like we are going to um, issue an intent to award um, uh, RFP or an operator, the, the successful person who proposed on our RFP for an outdoor shopper, shelter operator. But that is just an intent to award and there's a lot of work that has to happen. And the location, the site for that outdoor shelter still has not been identified. I guess, why has the city kind of put so much emphasis on finding a site to put up these outdoor shelters in the city? Yeah, I think um, the primary reason is because of all the unsanctioned camping. So whether our community members are trying to do it or not, but they're quite honestly voting with their feet. And they are showing us the type of living situation that they're most comfortable in right now. Um, but there are dozens of people who are showing us and demonstrating to us and telling us that going inside is not where they want to be yet. Because of that, an outdoor shelter is one more way. So maybe if we have a thousand people, you know, experiencing houselessness, there's a hundred who are saying, I want to do the shelter. Maybe there's another hundred who say, I want to do an outdoor shelter. 
right? And so I think it just starts to like get us to um, maybe channel our energy more efficiently to provide services for those um, who are camping throughout our community. Just one more sort of step to form like formal engagement or re-enfranchising with the community. I wanted to kind of go back to something you kind of touched on earlier um, in that you said that the city put out a request for proposal to manage one of these outdoor shelters. Um, So uh, how, I guess, once you pick the service provider, then how is it going to be operated? Because it's, I think another misconception a lot of people might have is, oh, the city's doing this and the city's running the day-to-day of the shelter, but that's not the case, correct? No, I mean, we are really good at running your police force, your fire department. We can issue you a permit to build an ADU and we can get you water and take away your sewer water. I mean, those are the things that we do really well at the city of Bend. Our expertise is not in social service provision. And so absolutely, we are looking for a contractor. Um, just the way we have a contractor, I don't know, we have we have franchise agreements with the garbage company, right? So we don't collect garbage. We have an agreement with the garbage company. They collect your garbage. Similarly, we'll have a contract, professional services contract with an operator, and they will be providing the service at that outdoor shelter because they have experience working with the humans um, who are most likely to be living there. Um, and they know how to offer opportunities for people to move along that housing, that spectrum of housing. But we set up the RFP for the operator in two phases. So once we know the location, we'll enter into a contract with the um the selected operator to go ahead and do outreach in the community about what their proposed operations are, what it's going to look like, who's going to live there. And then they'll get feedback from the neighbors and businesses and those adjacent to the shelter. And then that information will come back to the city and to the provider, the professional services contract vendor, um, and we'll refine actually how the shelter is going to be stood up and how it'll be operated. And so we'll enter into a second contract, phase two contract, um, to actually open the shelter and run the shelter. So um, there's still a lot of work that needs to be done so that we can really make sure um, that the operation, the design, the aesthetic, the population served there are all known to the community. Um, and we have addressed as many community concerns as we possibly can. What's maybe one big misconception you hear a lot from the community about outdoor shelters? I think the misconception is that nobody who chooses to stay at this outdoor shelter will be there by any way other than their choice. So there's, we are not going to grab the first 50 people or the first 25 RVs of who are camping on Huddle and move them into your neighborhood. So that, that's not, that I think is the most common misconception is that there's sort of this forced migration of people who are choosing to live in unsanctioned camp will then be forced to live in an outdoor shelter in your neighborhood. That's not the case. The outdoor shelter is, is a voluntary, um, environment. So I think the most thing, the one thing I really want anyone listening to this takeaway is that any outdoor shelter will be voluntary and the humans who are staying there understand the rules. Um, and they're, they're choosing to live there because it is moderately or comparatively or relatively safer, um, than the environment that they're in right now. Great. Well, thank you so much for chatting with me. I'm sure we'll be able to talk about this topic a little more down the road, but thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Now we're going to be joined by Senior Management Analyst Shelly Smith as she explains what the Safe Parking Program is and how it's making an impact.
Shelly, thanks so much for joining us on Inside Ben to talk about safe parking. Thanks for having me, Jacob. I'm excited to be here today. So um, before we dive into safe parking and that program and what it means for the city, maybe you could start with um, telling me a little bit about yourself and um, about your background and how you came to work at the city of Bend. Sure. Happy to. So I've been with the city of Bend for a little over two years, and my focus area as a senior management analyst in the city manager's office is to work in health and human services uh, um, projects. So that's usually my portfolio. Um, For the first two years, I helped focus um, the city's diversity, equity, inclusion, and accessibility program and helped to develop um, some of our internal and external partnerships, including the Human Rights and Equity Commission. Um, And while doing that, I'm also focused on houselessness and how the city can engage with our service providers um, and some unique programs and innovative programs to help move the needle forward to help helping our community members who are experiencing houselessness get connected to services and resources. And you mentioned that it's kind of one slice of the pie for you is this is this topic of houselessness and the safe parking program, because um, you have a lot of other things on your plate as well. Um, but as far as um, safe parking, what is the city's safe parking program and exactly how does it work? Sure. So this is this is a national model. And so this is nothing that the city came up with um, on our own. But what we did do as a city is our city council um, was uh, able to adopt uh, the safe parking programs into the municipal code in April of 2021. And really what that did is it um, allowed uh, property owners or those who are leasing property within the city to support overnight, limited overnight parking for people who are experiencing houselessness. Um, And that was a shift. Um, Before that, there were uh, state codes that Uh, prohibited that. So anybody who's a property owner or uh, uh, leasing, they can sign up to be a part of this then? Yeah. So how it works is that um, we've written the code or um, our legal team has written the code um, that there really are two categories for the safe parking program. The first category is as those the smaller number. So one to three vehicles um, can park, uh, you know, up to three vehicles can park um, in a uh, property that is um, supported by that property owner or the leasee. So it could be a nonprofit. It could be a a faith-based organization. It could be a public municipality, or it could be a private business. Um, So up to three cars, you don't have to go through a formal city process, but the, the key things is that you have to provide, you know, a parking lot that is in a location that's a little bit protected um, for those folks who are staying there. You have to provide, they have to provide, you know, some type of uh, portable toilet or a bathroom, um, hand washing station, and then some trash, a trash disposal uh, area so that they can, folks can use that right there on site. And it, it doesn't override any of our, the, local covenants or the CCNRs, um, but it does give an opportunity for any of those groups to, to look into that. And then the second type or the category of safe parking is more the transitional overnight parking. And that allows up to six vehicles to be parked um, in, in the same type of setting. The, the one caveat or the one, the two kind of pieces that are interesting for the transitional overnight parking is that uh, the property owner or leasee needs to apply through the 
the city. It's a simple application. It's actually located a fillable form on our um, safe parking program webpage. And the other part that's interesting is that it, the property owner is required to uh, sign an MOU or an agreement with a local nonprofit to provide case management um, and mobile outreach so that, you know, folks that are staying there have daily contact with someone that can help them um, progress through their continuum of housing options um, to, to get to where they want to be. When we talk about the houselessness here in the city of Bend, it it always comes down to um, kind of bringing all these pieces of the puzzle together to kind of have this holistic approach to um, creating options for people. Um, so why is the safe parking program such an important part of that puzzle? That's a really good question. I think what makes this program so attractive and successful is that there are folks all along the continuum um, in our community and we need options for them. And right now we have a lot of folks parking and living in their cars and parking them in city streets or, you know, kind of hidden away. We don't always see them. Um, and so the safe parking program gives them a sense of safety um, in having a place where they know that someone's not going to come knocking on their door in the middle of the night and, and demand that they move. And what we hear from folks that are in the program, they say things like, it was the first good night of sleep I've gotten because I knew that I was in a safe place to park my car. Um, and so for, for many of us who might have a, a safe place to sleep every night, um, we may not you know, see this as a, as a great option, but it definitely means it's a need for many, many, many folks in our community. You kind of just touched on it, but I wanted to ask you, you know, what kind of impacts we're seeing? Obviously, you said you've um, heard people say that's the best night of sleep I've gotten in a long, long time. Um, but what else is it providing for for people as as far as impacts, maybe for individuals as well as the community as a whole? Right. So, you know, I think some of the the benefits of this program is is that, you know, if you're living in your car, you need you need to be, you know, close to a restroom, um, close to hand washing, close to some of those sanitation needs. And and this provides, you know, that immediate um, resource right there on site close by. Um, it also, you know, what we're finding is that hopefully those who are hosting these safe parking programs are supportive and providing, you know, maybe additional resources like a source of power to charge their phone. Um, things that we don't often think about that we do every day, uh, that folks who are living in their cars don't have that, um, that, that ease or that freedom to, to have that, that resource. Um, you know, having water close by, um, being able to um, walk around an area and, and feel safe. Um, and I think the other thing, too, is that the case management is so critical. Um, you know, from the service provider perspective, one of the biggest challenges of, of assisting folks who are houseless is not knowing where they are or not being able to get a hold of them. When mm. critical things come up, like needing to get them uh, to an, a doctor's appointment or needing to help help them get uh, an appointment for maybe their um, social security, um, you know, process, uh, getting checks mailed um, to them. But at the safe parking program, 
the case manager knows where they're going to be each night and can follow up with them. Another thing that I think is really important for folks to know about the safe parking program is that right now we have two locations in Bend. Um, so far, they've been very successful. Um, we have uh, heard from the service providers that the average age of each participant or the average age of participants in the program is 55. Um, the average stay is six months. Um, and that we've had, uh, they've had over 30 guests who have participated in the safe parking program really, really re receive those individualized services and see them launch into um, different types of housing, including long-term permanent housing. And you kind of touched on it. There's already a few sites uh, here in Bend and this program is up and running, but it is something that you and the city are looking to grow. So um, if people are interested in, in helping out and providing um, that safe parking for people, how can they do that? You know, I think anybody in, on our team that's working in the houseless um, uh, world uh, at the city can can guide folks to the safe parking website. People can check out the information there. Absolutely. Well, thank you for that. And thank you for taking the time to chat with me. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me, Jacob. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Inside Bend. We want to remind our listeners that the city is dedicated to creating housing or facilities to house 500 homeless individuals. It'll take a community effort for us to find creative ways to increase our shelter capacity in Bend. If you want to stay up to date on what the city's doing to address houselessness, you can subscribe to email updates on the homelessness topic at bendoregon.gov enews. The City Council also has a standing item on their council meeting agendas to give updates on housing and houselessness. City Council meetings are held the first and third Wednesday of every month. You can find out more information at bendoregon.gov council. And you can learn more about what the city is working on to provide shelter and services for people experiencing houselessness at bendoregon.gov houselessness. Thank you for tuning in to Inside Bend. If you enjoy listening, don't forget to subscribe and you can check back each month for new episodes. And also a very special thank you to the Pitchfork Revolution for providing us with this music.